Hey guys, it's Lori here and I am peeking out again from behind the quarantine wall to share with you two different things. One is, did you know that we do coaching here at the Hole in My Heart podcast and specifically with the ministry that I run? If you guys are interested in that, you can hop on over to our website, lorikrieg.com, and you can click on our store page and we do some coaching there, which really... Coaching is where I listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to you and just try and offer my best my best sense of things. So if that's something you guys are interested in, feel free to reach out there. And we do offer a sliding scale for those of you who can't afford it. But if you can, that's actually a really great way for me to serve you guys and for you guys to pour back into this ministry so that we can keep going in these tough uh, financial, spiritual all the things old times. The second thing I wanted to say is if you guys do enjoy and benefit from this podcast, we so love hearing from you. And so feel free to reach out to us at podcast at lorikrieg.com. If you want to just drop us a note, drop us a prayer request, drop us, drop it like it's hot. I think that's still cool to say, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so you guys could drop us a line there as well as a review on iTunes. Uh, on iTunes. You can let us know how we're doing there giving us a five-star review and just sharing a little message that helps other people to find us. So if you got a little extra quarantine time, feel free to do that. It means a lot. All right. Without further ado, because that's how I intro these without ado in quarantine time. Here is today's episode. Bye guys. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 120, What to Do with Those Overwhelming Thoughts. Welcome, I am your host, Lori Krieg, and we are coming at you from springy Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I am alongside my favorite licensed therapist and Argyle expert, my husband, Matt Krieg. Hello. Hey, Matt. And we have our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. Hey, Steve. Today, guys, we are engaging overwhelming thoughts and feelings, which I feel this deeply because there are definitely times I feel the onslaught of overwhelm of both these thoughts and feelings. And I have my own practices that I engage to channel them into something helpful, but I am very much looking forward to learning new ways for my own life. And I hope they're a gift to some of you listening as well. But to help us unpack how to engage these overwhelming thoughts and feelings, we have Dr. Allison Cook with us. Allison, welcome. Well, I'm so glad to be here. This is this is a big treat. Oh, I'm so glad. Guys, if you do not know Allison, she is a counselor, speaker, and writer who specializes in the integration of faith and psychology. She has her master's from Denver Seminary and a PhD in religion and psychology from the University of Denver. And for 20 years, she's helped create transformative results for leaders and families. She is also the co-author of the book we're looking at today. That's called Boundaries for Your Soul. How to Turn Your Overwhelming Thoughts and Feelings into Your Greatest Allies. So you see the topic and the reason why. So we're super excited to dive in with you, Allison. But before we do, let's get to know you a bit better with our question of the week from last week, which is, what kind of sleeper are you? Are you a side sleeper, stomach, back, like a vampire or a pillow cuddler? I don't know. Some people were saying they were noisy sleepers. What, what's your deal, Allison? We just need to know. Well, okay. My first thought was I, I'm an obnoxiously great sleeper. I can sleep through anything. I hit the pillow, go to sleep, 
so I think that's annoying to some folks in my family, including my <laughs> husband, who are light sleepers. <laughs> that being said, I don't really know. I think I sleep on my side yeah. or on my stomach, but I, I just kind of conk out and, and don't really pay attention for the rest of the night, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah, that is that is a gift. Do you have children? Yes. So did you were you the like wake up in the middle of the nighter and you're like, hey, kid, pacifier, and- go back to bed? Well, ironically, because my husband is such a sleeper, he ended up doing a lot of that, which again, I'm very grateful for that. I, I, um, I sometimes would just, you know, I just don't wake up easily. So that is awesome. Matt's looking at me because we have a similar (laughs) dynamic in our marriage. (laughs) Even last night, perhaps. Yes, it was. Okay. (laughs) Steve, how about you? What listener? stood out to you as far as sleep habits. Yes. So I liked what Jeffrey said. I tend to sleep starting on my back and then I roll over on one side and raise a leg up and hug a pillow. And then as my hip and lower back starts to bother me, I'll roll over the other side and do the same and go back and forth. Oh man. And then I usually tend to wake up two or three times a night and look at the clock and then Lastly, I wake up usually about five minutes before my alarm goes off and I'll shut it off so I don't wake my wife up. And then I usually tend to fall back asleep for another 15 minutes to a half an hour before I actually get up. So, yeah, that's pretty restful sleeping. So I can kind of relate to parts of that. I'm trying not to say the phrase old man probs, but I am just said it. Yes. I mean, we're all thinking it. So, yeah. And I don't know how I feel about you calling the sleeping on the back the vampire. But it is. I even Googled it. I'm like, is that my own thing? Did I just come up with that? And I was like, oh, no, this is a thing. (laughs) I always start on my back and somehow end up on my side. But yeah. Are you holding your hands like you're holding flowers? (laughs) I actually have. Maybe uh, it's the coffee. uh, One rose that I hold. (laughs) No, just kidding. You really like sleeping in confined spaces as well. Love it. So you're offended by my vampire comment. How how dare you? How dare you? Matt. I was a big fan of what Mike said. I'm a side sleeper, and no matter where I start on the bed, I always end up at the very edge with my wonderful wife snuggled up right next to me. (laughs) What? What? And I don't... Who is this heathen you sleep with? (laughs) I don't know anything about that at any time (laughs) ever. Um, Although for me, it usually is the blankets, the sliver of the blankets that I get, which is usually why I I have a pillow that I sleep with, because it usually ends up being my blanket. (laughs) Try to get under that pillow. Yep. Yep. So yeah, start on the left side and then usually end up on my back with a pillow over me for covers. Are there sleep therapists? I think we need to go to one. Okay. Uh, I appreciated this. My name's Christina, and I'm definitely a side-slash-stomach pillow cuddler. Which we've talked quite a bit on this podcast that I'm, like, have issues with touch in general. Uh, I'm working on them. But I have been cuddling a body pillow while I sleep. Okay, here's the process. I start left side where I read for X amount of minutes, but then I have to flip right side to sleep, and then I put my sleep mask on. I have to have the sleep mask, and I have to have the body pillow, and I sleep on the right side till it's morning. (laughs) Minus the 10 times the kids wake us up. But that's the process, guys. Okay, Allison, let's dive into the heart of the matter and let's dive into the... Yes, please save us, help us. 
<laughs> There's vampires in here. Um, we believe it or not. Purpose of this podcast is to talk about how, why, and how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. We take that gospel, we really see how it's made practical. And so we would love to hear from you a piece of your gospel story, which if the gospel is, I am more loved than I imagine and yet more sinful than I believe. When was the gospel first good news for you and how is it still? Oh, great question. Um, <laughs> I... Let's think. I, I thought we were going to go into how sleep relates to emotions, but. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that would have been the proper an, segue, but now it's just a right, throwaway right. question for no, fun. This is, a, this is a great question. Um, so I, I grew up in a Christian home, but I would say my first real encounter with the gospel and in the way that you're describing was in college. I um, was far away from home. I grew up in a very remote town in Wyoming, ended up at Dartmouth in New Hampshire for college. And during that time, I did a study abroad in Germany. So I was as far possible, you know, from the safety of anything I knew as as could be. And it was during those uh, three months that God really got a hold of my life. And I think what I remember just to your point was just this freedom. There was a lot I felt like I struggled with in terms of not feeling, um, just always kind of having a vague sense of being on the outside looking in, um, you know, trying to figure out how to prove my worth, you know, those things that a lot of people struggle with. But even in a Christian home, it just hadn't really penetrated what it meant to be beloved by God. Mm. And during those, I just remember, you know, being so far from home and everything I knew and just, and you know, it's kind of like how people describe falling in love. The sky was just blue and the, the grass was green because I just was so filled with God's love for me. And that's what mattered. And all the other things that I could pick myself apart for not being, you know, mm. just fell by the wayside. Yeah. Um, and it was just a really pivotal, it, it really changed everything in my life. It put me on a, a, a completely different trajectory of, really deeply understanding Christ's love for me. Mm, I love it. How do you still need that deep love for you? Yeah, I was just thinking about it last week. There's a verse in Revelation where he's talking to the church of Ephesus and says, you know, you, you know, he gives them all these compliments. And then he says, you, you've, my one thing I have against you is you've forgotten your first love. Yeah. And I thought about it and I thought, I know I, that first love, right? That glow of, mm. of that excitement of loving and falling in love with Jesus. I, I don't want to lose that. I haven't lost it. I still can connect to it so easily. However, you know, the distractions of life and family and kids, you know, that's where I repeatedly every morning, you know, it, when there's, it's almost like the, um, you know, I, I hesitate to say this because none of us wants trials and tribulations, but mm-hmm. um, sometimes when you go through something, you, you go right back to that first love Ooh, yeah. and, you know, and when life is going okay, you're, you can get distracted. And so that's what I try to keep in front of me as it's not a, it's, 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 a, it's about love that, that staying connected to Jesus, not about duty. Yeah. Um, and that, so that's kind of where I am right now is just being so grateful for that presence that is just always available. I always think of C.S. Lewis talking about how he'll feel, 
he, he would talk about how he'd feel the tapping on his shoulder and he kind of like, ah, you know, what is that? What is that? What is that? And it was the Holy Spirit. And then he turned and it was like, I just wanted to tell you, I loved you. You know, why do we kind of, you know, uh, you know oh, oh God, I got things to do. I got things to do. Oh, you just want to, you know, love on me a little bit. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am with, with that right now. Mm, I love that picture. Okay. So you wrote this book called Boundaries for Your Soul, How to Turn Your Overwhelming Thoughts and Feelings into Your Greatest Allies. Do we all have overwhelming thoughts and feelings? Yeah, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think different people experience that at different levels and different ways. You know, there's a spectrum of how overwhelming, yeah. uh, depending on personality type, trauma, life history, all those things. But But everybody deals with emotions and and thoughts that they don't want from time to time. What do they sound like? Like how, you know, I've, I alluded to, yeah, I experienced that. I've got these practices, but what, Mm -hmm. what do they sound like? How do I know if I'm in the overwhelmed club? Great question. I would say when an emotion and and emotions and thoughts are kind of tied together, sometimes it's hard to parse which, which is which, but um, when they are extreme, is we like to, we talk about how we have the Holy Spirit led self. We have the Holy Spirit within us. And there's a sense in which when you're operating out of that spirit led self, there's a sense of calm. There's a sense of clarity. Um, it's not that you don't have things you're worried about, but the, the worries aren't ruling you. Hmm. you. You've got a healthy distance from them. I'm kind of getting into the meat of the book. So the, the flip side of that is when the worry is just constant, you know? So what people will describe as just a constant noise in their mm-hmm. mind, like just they can never focus or um, a lot of times in our society today, what people do is they numb that out by constantly having something on, mm-hmm. um, whether it's the radio or music or podcasts or TV, or they're numbing in some way. But a lot of times what I'll say to people is if you just are with yourself for a minute, what do you notice? And that's where you'll find out, I just feel sad. Yeah. Okay. We need, that's an overwhelming emotion, right? There's, there's a lack of that clarity, that peace, and it's not a bad thing. So I would say when they get extreme, I mean, anger is an example when you, you know, people just say, I'm just so angry all the time. Hmm. It's okay to get angry. You know, the Bible says, be angry, just don't sin in your anger and set a time limit on your anger. Don't let the sun go down on it, right? So it's anger isn't a bad thing, but if you're angry all the time and you're just aware constantly that that edge is there, that's an extreme, that's an overwhelming emotion. Anxiety, another one. Hmm. It's normal to get anxious from time to time, but if you're just constantly fighting it, it's overwhelming you. So, you know, the promise of the book on the cover to turn them into your greatest allies, like that's, that's pretty awesome. And like, wow, that's possible. So what's a step? So if someone's listening, so like me, I'm like, oh man, my, my overwhelming like phrasing will be like, I think my greatest battle I'm fighting right now is perfectionism. And when I get stressed, I go automatically into everything has to be perfect. Everyone has to like me. Everything has to be perform, perform. Matt's nodding vigorously. He knows this about me. And so that feels overwhelming. So how, what's my first step or what's someone's first step who's listening and they're like, okay, I'm, I relate to the constant anger, constant anxiety, or maybe what I'm saying, just the sometimes ah, frenetic perfectionism. Well, the first step you just did, which is beautiful, it's awareness. Mm. You you have enough awareness and that, believe it or not, that's the hardest 
place, that's the hardest step. Once you can get a little healthy distance and, and re- realize, you know, people pleasing is another one. I, you know, yes. um, where it, or, or, um, workahol, you know, just working yes, constantly, totally. gotta work harder, work harder, work harder, get it done, get it done, task manage, you know, um, it, the first step is realizing, oh, I'm doing that. Okay. Mm. Wait a minute. I, that is, if you can start to do that, you're differentiating. We, we use the word differentiating. You're, you're creating some healthy distance internally between who you are at your core and this thing you do. And this voice inside your head is telling you it's the only option you have. Mm. And you can get some, a little bit of separation from it and become aware. Then you can kind of walk through, okay, all the other steps. But the very first step is that awareness. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So we're talking about it. I'm aware. Now, <laughs> now there's your book is, is built uh, in these sections and, and really it's like based around the soul. And then you walk some steps with us, which is really well done. It's really an easy read guys. If you want to dive into deeper parts of your soul and heart and I, there's so many authors that you cite that some we've interviewed, some we've read, some we have in our book that's getting published later this year. Uh, so I was like, Oh, this yeah. is a soul sister. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> But can you, uh, you know, there's no perfect model, uh, but, and you alluded to that too, but what's your model of the soul? Yeah. So the model we use, it's a, it's a fast growing model of therapy. The best, you know, a lot of people have seen the movie inside out by Pixar Mm -hmm. that came out a few years ago. It's loosely based. That's a great way to look at it. It's this idea that we're comprised of different parts. And it's pretty simple. If you think about it, it's like a part of me, you know, is really tired right now, but a part of me is so excited to go to this event. Mm. What do I do? You know, it's a really normal thing that we experience. And, um, and so, and attached to these different parts, you know, so again, with the perfectionistic example, there's a part of me that's just got to make this perfect. And there's another part of me that's just like, just chill out. (laughs) And so all that noise, that's what creates noise in our brains are these parts. And so the model, it's called internal family systems. The idea is we have sort of a family inside of us that we have to parent Mm -hmm. and the spirit led self, the place where the Holy spirit lives is the good wise parent that knows what to do with all of this chaos (laughs) going on inside of us. And the three categories of the parts to kind of make it even simpler are we have manager parts. And these are the parts of us, like you described the perfectionistic parts, Mm -hmm. the pleasing parts, the producing parts, the controlling, the analyzing. These are the parts of us that get the job done and they show up at work. They get us on time. They, you know, they get the dishes done. They get the people happy. (laughs) (laughs) And and the, the key to the model is to realize these parts of us are not bad it's all about healthy balance. And then the second type of part of the soul in this family that we have inside are called these firefighter parts. And these are the parts of us, the best way to think of them is they're trying to put out the flames of pain. Mm -hmm. And so these are the parts that shut us down, numb us. They're the parts of us that are like, I'm exhausted from overworking. So I'm going to binge watch television for six hours. They, they react to the manager parts. <laughs> yeah. And then this third side of us, this third part of us that we all have are what's called these exiled parts of us. And these are the parts of us that are typically hurting. They're the parts of us we don't want to face because oftentimes that's why we exile them because oftentimes they carry the emotions, the memories, the self-defeating thoughts that we don't want to face, that we're lonely 
mm-hmm. were insecure, that were doubting, that were sad. And so these manager parts and these numbing parts are kind of working overtime to keep us from these parts of us that really need our attention the most. Yeah. And so the goal of the model is to kind of learn, that's how you gain awareness. It's okay, now I've got, these are my key managers. Hmm. These are the key ways I like to shut myself down. And what are those two types of, what are they protecting? The exile. And those are the exiles. And the more you become aware of each of your kind of go-to in each of these categories, the more you can lead yourself. The more you will catch the cues. Wait a minute. I'm compulsively cleaning right now. What, what's going on inside of me? What mm-hmm. am I afraid of? You know, that's what we mean by turning your emotions into allies. You can start to read, see them as cues to pay attention mm. as opposed to enemies to fight. So the precious part about that, and it was really clear to me in your book is, uh, the shame removal. It's just, it yeah. automatically deletes it from this like self-reflective self-hatred. It's more internalizing, like, let's just notice. Let's yes. notice what th- what's happening instead of being like, oh, I'm cleaning. Oh, I hate myself. Why do I always clean? And now I'm stupid. And then you're like punching the exile even more. And then you're numbing out more. And then, so a healthy person would do what? So please fix me. Need some therapy. Uh, no, but so, you know, I'm noticing perhaps, you know, I'm in super people pleasing mode and workaholism mode and in perfectionism. So I'm like, ah, so I'm noticing it. Is the solution for me to go straight up Enneagram four and go dive nose dive into all my past trauma and pain or what's, what's a healthy, how can I turn that into an ally? Yeah, it will. It, it depends if yeah. if you've never done this work before. Yes, um, which and, I have, but I yes, okay, I hear you. So in your case, my guess is you you can start to a little bit on your own work through in our, in the book. We we take you through the five steps, and you can start asking yourself these questions. It's really a spiritual practice of growing in both self awareness and God awareness, right? Growing mm-hmm. in slowing it down, what's happening inside of me right now, inviting God into that process instead of the shaming inner critic, which is not God, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it masquerades as, you know, you're, it's not the voice of God. Um, we, we change in the context of compassion, not in the context of harsh criticism and judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so for, you know, in your case, I love the, you know, the awareness about the Enneagram four, right? So you, you kind of, <laughs> You slow it down. What's mm. going on? And and listen to your self-talk. If you've got that shaming inner critic, we have to ask it to step back. Mm. A lot of times that's habit. Now, if there's trauma, these things go way back. Then you got to, we, we're going to do some deeper therapy. Right. Because folks may not even ever had an experience of what it feels like not to have that chaos in their mind. Mm. So it's going to, you're going to need someone to journey with you into those hard places. Mm. But if you've had some awareness, you can start to kind of do some of this on your own. Which I feel like I just need to do a little advertisement for therapy. I mean, I got two therapists, yeah. <laughs> two or four of us are <laughs> there, but it's uh, not me, but Matt and you um, is when I was reading it, there were times I would just was, I was like laughing to myself because I hear the phrasing you say, and that Matt says, and I'm like, this is such beautiful, like tender therapy speak 
just because it's like, just love yourself. Stop doing it. And it wasn't cheesy. So I'm not saying that at all. It just yeah. was so tender. And I was like, oh, it's so true. This is so good for yeah. my soul. Um, yeah. But for those of you who are listening, who are like, okay, yes, I feel constantly angry. I feel constantly anxious. And I, you know, there's, if you haven't done your work, I feel like I don't really know how to say it other than like your heart, your past work. Like I would just recommend talking to someone uh, so that you can start these practices. And it doesn't mean you're never going to be anxious. You're never going to be angry or whatever, but it's so worth it to be able to put some of these things in place. Yeah, I, I really echo that because we, you know, so many of our great, great Christian thinkers have talked about the connection between the knowledge of self and the knowledge of God. And so the more we peel back the layers of who we are, the more we understand what that is, where that came from, why that's there, you know, the more space we create to receive and become more of who God made us to be. Mm. So I like how, even in what you just said, it, um, the integration of both the, you know, the mental, the spiritual, the every, the holistic being, and you refer, you do like a little sidebar and you talk about, uh, this, the baptized imagination and just that that can be a gift in this journeying with the mind, heart, body, spirit. And so can you talk about why the imagination, what's that mean to be baptized and why is that not, I don't know, evil, <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a great question. So one of the things they're finding, especially in trauma resor- uh, research, is the importance of accessing memories, accessing parts of our brain where at the side at which the wound occurred, mm. which could be as a child. It could be, you know, a lot of times we're now we're getting into more the trauma side of this, but a lot of times we're operating out of protective parts of us, survival parts of us that learned how to please mm. to survive yeah. because of something that happened in childhood that meant, you know, there was no choice. Mm. You had to make every adult happy or you were going to, you know. And so that's pretty deeply rooted in the brain. And so one of the things that this model IFS really uses is this idea of um, recreating scenes, imagining what those parts feel like. And what you're doing is you're accessing right brain imagination while you're simultaneously attending to that from the prefrontal cortex, from your executive brain. So you're making a new meaning of it. You're trying to bring different parts of your brain online at the same time, because even though the rational part of you knows, oh, that was 20 years ago. Why is, you know, I'm not in that. There's a, there's a, a little part of your brain that's gotten stuck and so using the, the creative abilities that God gave us to reimagine situations or to imagine parts of us as we experience them. And it's fascinating. You'll, you know, if someone really struggles with anger, you know, a client, I'll say, I want you to take a second and just focus on that anger, which is step one. It's a paradox for many people. They're like, why would I focus on it? Well, <laughs> because if you think about it, when we focus on something, we're actually gaining distance from it. Mm-hmm. You're putting it out in front of you and letting it instead of letting it be right inside of you. Hmm. And so then you, you can focus on it and you, what do you see? What do you notice? And, and that's accessing that imagination. You know, people will say, I don't know. It's like, you know, this weird scene and, and you know, they'll come up, but that, that memory, that 
that way of accessing um, those parts of your brain gives you information that you're where you're also present to it from a the the you know the more executive side of you that can help you understand it better. So we we use the word baptize that we borrowed from C.S. Lewis again. Um, mm-hmm. That was the word he used. Um, he talks about reading um, in Surprised by Joy um, when he first read George MacDonald. He talked about his imagination getting baptized. And what he means by that is he caught a vision of something he wanted before his intellect understood it. Hmm. And so there's a way in which the imagination can give us a a sort of a, a vision of either what something that's been painful for us or or, uh, an idea of some way that we know we can be but we just can't get there yet. Hmm. And I do think that's part of how God made us. It's part of that creative side of us. So you had mentioned, I mean, with, with trauma um, clients or, or people who have experienced trauma that, that kind of this accessing the imagination gives them a, a way almost to reprocess some of the, the memories and, and everything. Um, but what would you do if, if someone was, in their imagination, kind of reinforcing that, that critical stance? Yeah, that's a great question. So that sort of shaming critic pops in and, and they're replaying that tape sort mm-hmm. of in, yeah. within the context of what they're imagining. Yeah. With trauma in particular, you really want to get permission from those protectors, those managers and firefighters before you go into those exiled parts, because that's really those exiled parts of us are the parts we've buried, we've hidden, we don't want to think those are the parts of us that we're really trying to gain access to. Hmm. And we don't want to go there until we've got all those protective parts, the system is ready to handle whatever the door might open. We don't want to rip off, you know, we don't want to open up the Pandora's box before the person is ready. Mm. And so that's how you sort of guard, you're constantly gauging from the person, what we call presence of the spirit led self. We go into a lot of detail in the book about what we mean by spirit led self. Henry Nowen talks about the inner voice of love, the place inside where the spirit dwells, where Um, And I think in Christianity, the reason this is so important is because we have this sort of competing theology of we're we're sinful. You guys asked it well in your question. (laughs) We're utterly sinful, but we're also, we were made in the image of God Mm. and called good prior to sin. And we're utterly redeemed. We have the power of Christ in us. So a couple of things are true at the same time. (laughs) And so when we're constantly trying to, these parts of us that have been broken, these parts of us that have been shamed, these parts of us that are shaming ourselves, we're constantly trying to bring them into the presence of that spirit-led place Hmm. inside where we know the power of Christ dwells. Hmm. So that's kind of the art and science of doing this work. And there's a lot that goes into that, but that's sort of the overview. Hmm. Let's take it to an example. And I loved how you described just walking with someone who is wrestling with cutting 
uh, you engaged the shame, you know, that she she felt over this cutting experience and in similar to how you describe talking to anger. And can you just unpack that? Because I just thought it was such a beautiful scene. Yeah, the founder of this model actually um, talks about cutting as one of his first where he first kind of realized that oftentimes, especially as therapists, someone will come to us with a part of them that such as cutting that is sort of like, oh, that's terrible. You have to stop. And, and a lot of times therapists are even trained, you know, let's sign a contract. So you stop doing that. Hmm. And I, I'm not saying that's bad or good. I'm just saying that's sort of what's been happening. And, and what this approach is realizing is that person is cutting there. It's, it's a way to numb emotional pain. So when someone cuts, the pain is so great, they don't know how to handle it. And so you can physicalize it and that actually helps them cope. And so in this model, the first step is to focus. As I said, the second step is to befriend. Mm-hmm. We're going to befriend whatever protector is coming toward us. And this is hard for Christians to get. So we, we get a lot of pushback on this at first. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time explaining what we mean by that. Mm-hmm. The part of the person is doing something in that survival mode to try to help. Mm-hmm. And we need to honor that before we shift the system. And this is kind of getting to your earlier question, um, Matt, where before I can go, before we can get in there, we have to acknowledge. And I did this with this client that I wrote about in the book. Like, I get it. I get it. And she had been to so many therapists who were just sort of further shaming her. She already mm-hmm. felt bad right. for doing it. And they were shaming, you've got to stop. If you come in next week and you've cut this, this, and this, and that that was just ratcheting up the self-hatred. Mm. And the minute I was able to say, I get it. This part of you is trying to help. And it's got a strategy that you don't need anymore. That's not working. We need to try to find a new strategy for you. But, but there was a way I, that both she and I needed to extend compassion toward the part of her that was doing that. Mm-hmm. And it changed everything. She was able to show compassion toward herself, understand why she was doing it, which decreases all the stress and anxiety inside, which is a much better place from which to create change. Hmm. So beautiful. It actually is reminding of me of my some of my early days of of therapy with one of my first uh, therapists. And I actually write about this in our Journey Well study where he, you know, I was engaging in sexual behaviors that I didn't want. And he just he said, I want you to go and do something for yourself that would be kind to your sexuality. That would just celebrate that God yeah. made you a sexual being. And I like my head was spinning like I couldn't. I was like, what? Like, you're not shaming me. You're not hating me. You're not telling me I should go change and be perfect. Like it was such a, like a contrast to my normal stormy, overwhelming thoughts and feelings, self-talk, but it was such like a, a baptism of sweetness, like of just kindness. And I have encouraged others uh, who've walked in similar paths to me to do the same thing. And they'll, you know, buy like rings for themselves or like just a way to care for their souls instead of hate themselves. That's right. Because that part of you that's acting out, whatever it may be, I, yeah. I've worked, done a lot of work with addicts. They hate that part of themselves. Yeah. They already, you know, and, and it's like, wait, you mean I don't, I could love on that part of me. That mm. That's very different than saying, go do the thing. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's 
but it's so, I see it so much in the gospels. If we think about how Jesus is with different kinds of people, um, it's so much the way he is. So it makes sense, but those protective parts of us get pretty strident in their solution for the problem, Yeah, (laughs) which is you just got to knock it off. Yeah. Just stop it. (laughs) Yeah. So your book is beautiful in that it, um, you know, it talks about the parts of the soul. It walks us through these great steps. Um, I would like to just, you know, after walking us through these steps, you, you talk about how we can turn anger into an ally and anxiety. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Like how can anger be an ally? Well, anger is a great ally. It's anger's, I think one of the things people misunderstand about emotions is I always say emotions are not bad or good. They just are. Jesus had emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see, we see emotions all over the gospels, all over the Bible. Um, it's what you do with the emotions. So emotions are cues and anger is a great cue. And I always say to people, don't too quickly pray anger away. Mm. Don't act on it, but what what's it about? And then we do the, when you go through the steps, the five steps focus on it. And you, you kind of ask yourself all these questions. They're in the appendix of the book, befriend it, understand it's trying to help and try to get to the root of it. Cause a lot of times anger is showing up telling you that person is hurting me. <laughs> yeah. And if you just ignore that or shove it aside, you're going to miss an important cue. Now that doesn't mean you need to go yell at the person. You need to lead the anger, but the anger becomes your ally when you build trust with it and go, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to pay attention to you. I'm not going to silence you anymore, but you got to let me be the boss. You got to let me run the show, meaning the spirit led self. And so then you take in the cue and it's like, ouch, that person is hurting me. Okay. Now I have good information. I've, I've tapped into my prefrontal cortex. I'm not, you know, in my, my, uh, my reptilian brain, I'm not going to act that, but I can make a really wise decision. I can set a boundary. I can talk to the person, you know, I, and so that's how anger is actually such an important emotion that we need Mm -hmm. not to rule us, but we need to build trust with it and lead it. Anxiety is another one. Um, We need to build trust (laughs) with our anxiety. That sounds like such a funny thing, but sometimes, you know, sometimes anxiety has important cues for us. Sometimes it needs to learn that we, with the Holy Spirit within us, we are trustworthy. And so I, I work a lot with people with anxiety where it's, it's a lot about, um, and, and I know, you know, again, Christians sometimes don't like this language. So we do a lot of work in the book, but it is a, about trusting yourself in the mm-hmm. sense of trusting that, that Holy Spirit, the Spirit led self in you, that you are more capable than the anxious part of you understands. Hmm. And when anxiety is really extreme, usually it's an indicator that, you know, something that happened, whether long ago or where, where that, that anxious part of you didn't think you could handle it. Hmm. And so we've got to help that part of you learn. You can, it may not be easy. It may, you know, but you have more of what it takes than that part of you understands or thinks. This just reminds me in college, I, I had like, I don't know, five or six panic attacks a day. I ended up like quitting my RA job. I just super hyper, hyper anxiety. And I have learned, whereas in the past when I'd feel like the heart race, the, you know, the traditional signs of anxiety, I would just floor it. 
I would do more, you know, I'd go into the manager, I'm guessing to just try and like fix it. And you shut down, you exile. And so I have learned now, so maybe just to contextualize what you're saying or personalize it is when I start to feel the heart race, the like choking feeling, I just stop. I stop. And it's often when I'm trying to do multiple things at the same time, which is just bananas. We need to stop it. So of just stop sit down. And for me, often it's just focus on one thing or just focus on your breathing or just be, or sit down and play with the kids. (laughs) So is is that kind of what you're saying? Like you hear it, you feel it. And so trust it that you don't need to floor it and do more. I'm like super rhyming, just floor it and do more of it, (laughs) but uh, to pause. It's great awareness. It's so exactly what we're saying, Lori, you're, you're noticing the anxiety as a cue, Mm. not that you need to do more, but, oh, you've learned about yourself. Oh, I'm overwhelmed. My system is processing too much. Mm. I'm doing too much. I have too much. My anxiety is actually telling me something. Yep. And I don't have to like fall apart. I can, I know how to calm myself down. Mm. Uh, Oh, I know what to do. I mean, that is such an empowering feeling. Mm-hmm. When you go, oh, that ain't, thank you, anxiety. Thank you for letting me know that mm-hmm. I've got too much on my plate mm-hmm. and I need to slow down, take some deep breaths, you know, and, and maybe that's all it is. Yep. That's, that's all that it's doing. The more you build that trust, what I notice is the more I build trust with these parts of myself, the more quickly they relax. Yep. Can you help me for a second? With my kids. I mean, we've got me squared away now. Let's help my kids. Um, But I'm just picturing, you know, one of our kids who can get overwhelmed pretty quickly. And I'm like, ooh, this is, I'm trying to teach her this, uh, where it's like we're in a situation and she just gets bug eyed and like overwhelmed. And I try and stop and look her in the eyes and, okay, you know, you're safe. You're okay. Um, But I think often as parents, we're kind of just, annoyed and tired and come on kid, go do the thing. So how do you have any insight about that? Like with kids, like how can we coach them in healthy ways? Like this emotional resilience to both listen to their anxiety, but also be resilient. Yeah. What you're saying is great. I mean, the first thing I always say to people with just get curious, get curious about it. So the first, because so, we tend to get reactive, like you're saying, we tend to be like, ah, stop doing that. Yes, let's go <laughs> um, home. And, we, and so it's hard. I mean, it's, we win some and lose some as parents. First of all, don't beat yourself up. If any, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, we're, but in the ideal world, when, you know, you have all the time in the world, you'd um, say, hey, you know, I, I notice um, you, you, you seem overwhelmed. There's a part of you. And you can even use that language because saying there's a part of you immediately suggests it's not all of who you are. Oh, that's good. And so uh, just there's a part of you that's overwhelmed. I'm totally overwhelmed. Well, I, I hear that a part of you is really, really overwhelmed. And I'm curious about that. Mm. And so you're just kind of modeling, you know, whatever that thing is that's going on with them. Mm. And then depending on their age, can they reflect on that? Or is it just really about you starting to name and help them label look, this is a part of you and it's okay that it's here. Let's try to understand it Yeah. so that, you know, it's not ruling you. Mm. And then that's where we bring in the concept of boundaries because what we're doing with boundaries is we're applying boundaries internally. So with kids, I, I often use the big, you know, 
it seems like the anxiety is big. What can we do to take it down to medium? Hmm. What can we do to take it down to small, which is just a, a gentle boundary. <laughs> yeah. And and you can do that, that you have power to do that. And I can help you figure out those things. Hmm. Um, but I often, I like that, you know, it's like, we don't have to make it go away altogether, but let's try to put a gentle boundary around it yeah. so that other parts of you that I know really want to get your homework done or really want to go out and play with your friend can do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Super helpful. So this this has been just a really interesting and introspective conversation for me because mm-hmm. Lori, like you, you definitely resonate with that anxiety piece. And, yeah. And and for me, it's the anger piece. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. This is maybe just a side question. I don't even know if there's an answer, Allison. But do you, do you notice any patterns with people who tend to um, have more firefighters, more of those avoidance kind of coping mechanisms or the versus the, the more, the managers that get stuff done mechanisms, if there's an, a bend toward anxiety or anger kind of issues at all. Uh, it's a great question. So anger is often classified just theoretically as more of a um, firefighter. I don't experience it that way. I almost experience I experience, and I think this is a gender, potentially somewhat gendered. I, I exile anger. I don't like to feel it. To me, it feels very uncomfortable. Um, it can be, and it can also be a manager if it's sort of in the, in the vein of control and um, anger fuels your ability to show up and get things done, sort of that fight flight. Okay. Um, so I think, I'm not sure if you're at, I'm not, let me, let me see if I'm understanding your question correctly. My, my question was, so, so for me, I'm a nine on the Enneagram and okay. I'm, I'm, I've dealt with more of those avoidance things where I have three screens on at a time and I'm just, I'm zoning out from my emotions and I'm exiling kind of all emotions. Um, and, and one of the, you know, staple things about nines is that we just avoid all conflict um, yes. you know, and so I was, it was more, more curiosity. I don't know that there's going to be an answer for, you know, if and you so tend to. Just out of curiosity, how do you experience anger? Do you try not to feel it? Does it feel uncomfortable to you or do you notice it quite a bit, but you try to shut it down? I, I think it's more the, I, I can sense it, but then I, I don't necessarily like, I haven't befriended it. I haven't used it as a, yeah. as a, as a a guide or I'm learning to use it as a guide and be more assertive as opposed to just holding stuff in until they come out in some type of aggressive way, whether that's toward myself or just other people. Yeah. That that's interesting. And that makes sense with the nine. I might just hearing you that that resonates with my experience, which is more almost you've exiled it a little bit. You've, Mm -hmm. You've other parts of you have shoved it away as bad. And so the, the journey for you would actually be to, you know, slowly learn to befriend it when you notice it instead of avoiding it or shutting it down again, gently, you know, we don't want to rip the bandaid off, but begin to pay attention. And even you can journal about it. I'll, I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll tell people, cause I, I know when I first kind of discovered my anger, it was a little, you know, when, when you buried an emotion, it comes out pretty big at first, mm-hmm. this is what I meant. We say we get permission from the protectors. <laughs> so you want to make, get by, get, okay, we're going to do this. Let's put good structures in place. Let's not be foolish. But um, 
I, I would, you know, and so I kind of let myself, I gave myself permission. I'm going to start to feel it a little bit and I'd mm-hmm. almost schedule it. I journal about it and just try to understand it. Um, so I do see that quite often. I think the nine is a good indicator of that, um, uh, where you are actively going to suppress it through numbing and avoiding features. That makes complete sense. Yeah. I mean, that, that is my box. Let's face it. Not that I have to stay there. So yeah. anyway, um, yeah, that, that's and very And you might helpful. find a wonderful ally, right? Because mm. as you get to, I still don't love to feel anger, but I appreciate when it, and for me, when it does show up, it's, it, I need to listen to it because mm. it takes a while. Yeah. So if it's showing up, it's probably there for a really good reason. And I, I've kind of flipped all the way around to going, not only would it, is it not sinful to have it, it's actually sinful for, for me not to pay attention to it mm. yeah. because it's really telling me something that I need to pay attention to. Mm. Mm. So if there's one takeaway from your book for, for someone who's feeling any of these, any of these spaces of, of overwhelming, if there's just one takeaway you could give to someone, what would that be? Oh, it's so hard to boil it down to one. Yeah. <laughs> um, emotions are not your enemy. Mm-hmm. They're cues. They're part of our God-given selves. Learn, learn about them. Pay attention to them. Don't let them rule you, but get to know them. Mm. Let them be an aid to you on your journey toward wholeness. It's so beautiful. Man, Allison, I'm so thankful for you. You did a little me counseling. Our kids, Matt, Steve was nodding, and I think he needs some journaling to do as well. (laughs) So thanks for solving all our problems today. But no, uh, really so appreciate your heart and your words and just the really practical, uh, deep combination. Like you really do. You feel like a soul sister. So thank you. I feel the same. This was just a delight. You you guys are so thoughtful and I've really enjoyed this and I hope we get to talk again someday. We would love it. So guys, if you want to connect with all of the Allison cook things, the uh, socials, but her site and as well as this book that uh, really, maybe I say this too much. Maybe it's just the Holy spirit that connects everyone, but I really, there's so many people she was quoting from Lewis to, I don't know, other therapy nerds, you therapists know that Matt makes me read (laughs) and I like reading. Uh, Really such a gift and and really a readable book. But guys, we love hearing from you. Feel free to reach out to us. You can email us. You can find us on the old website, lauricrieg.com, I-E for Lori and I-E for Krieg. I after E except after C. Okay, which, just a minute. You guys, there's so many of you who think my last name is Keurig. It's not Keurig. <laughs> Somebody, multiple people ask us that. I wish I was the heiress of <laughs> Mr. Keurig and Matt as well, but it's Creek. Uh, but, so when you email us, you can reach out at lauricreek.com. We love hearing from you and we love those reviews on iTunes. We so appreciate them. They help other people find the resources that we are offering here to talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. Okay, we got a question of the week for next week. This comes from one of my friends. And it is, what's your favorite hack right now? What's something that you like life hack? Which my kids are asking me today. They're like, what's a hack? I did not know how to tell them in three and five-year-olds speak. So you guys know what's something you've learned to make life easier that we need to know. So please tell us, send them. 
we want to know. Okay. We all need to like go rest for a while after a nice therapy sesh. Hope you guys do too. But thanks so much for joining us today. For all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. <laughs>